powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. Sorry about that, everyone. Had a bit of a mute issue, but uh, great game overall, but uh, not the result the Montreal Canadiens wanted, obviously, because they seem to want to win these games this year. And, you know, Kyle Connor, he, he got through. He finally got through. Sam Montembeau was denying him all game. We're going to talk about Sam Montembeau uh, tonight, how fantastic he's been this season, how particularly fantastic he was in this game. We're going to talk about the return of Joel Edmondson, how he looked in his first game back, and we're also going to talk about the strong, strong play of that Suzuki Caulfield dock line, and of course, we got to talk about the horrible officiating and goal-reviewing situation in this league because it continues to be a storyline that unfortunately we have to talk about and we'll, we'll get there. Maybe we'll start out with that. I've got a great guest with me tonight, Ian Boisvert, but before I bring him in, I've got to tell you about sports interaction. Want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Football continues. The World Series is ongoing. I believe game five is today and the hockey season, of course, is well underway. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets like Will Cole Caulfield outscore Austin Matthews this season. Made by Canadians for Canadians, Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all that sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. Ontario only, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. All right, let's welcome in our guest tonight. It's Ian Boisvert. Ian, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm real happy to uh, be back here for uh, with uh, in another season with you. It was a lot of fun last year. We had some real stinkers of hockey games to talk about. Um, but for now, we're, we're watching some pretty fun ones. So uh, excited to talk about good hockey instead of bad hockey, believe it or not. Yeah, that's the thing about this season, right, is even in the losses – it's a lot easier to talk about this team this season. There's continually good stuff to talk about. Uh, you know, it, as far as, uh, you know, we're going to talk about officiating here in a second. As far as that's concerned, I, I just want to make sure that nobody gets it twisted in what we're talking about here. It's not about whether or not the team wins a game or has a chance to win a game. It's literally just how bad does it have to be before the NHL wakes up and realizes that this is a gigantic problem. And it was atrocious tonight. Whether it was soft calls on, uh, I mean, the Slavkovsky one was soft too, but the one on Rem Pitlick, which was literally a stick raise, and yeah. they called that hooking. That's the second time this season, second time in the last couple of games, I believe, where the Canadians have had a penalty call on a, like a very clear, completely legal stick lift. The last one was called a slash on Josh Anderson. I, I think it's... As far as I can remember, the first time I've ever seen a slash called on a stick raise. Usually slash only gets called on like a downward motion. When it's an upward motion, they just do not call that. Now, I totally get if you're going to raise a stick and get like your blade into the hands, you can call that a hook. But there was no blade into the hands on that Rem Pitlick play. And with how much the Jets were getting away with in this game including in the opening minutes, a full-on slew foot on Brendan Gallagher in the slot. I mean, of course the Jets got carried away in this game and ended up winning because this was kind of handed to them in a lot of ways. And again, it's not about the result. It's just if 
like the Canadians got away with a couple in the third period, I think, with the Arbor Jack guy and uh, uh, was it Caulfield at the end there who who tripped a guy up? But either way, the way this game was officiated through the first two periods was beyond atrocious, and it's the kind of stuff that the NHL needs to address because it, it's just garbage. It turns people off. Yeah, no, it's tough to watch the Pitlick one. The hook, especially where, you know, he gets stick on stick. The ref that called that was behind Pitlick. So yep. he didn't he didn't see where the stick ended up. He's just seeing Pitlick from behind his stick parallel to the ice at about, you know, waist high. And usually that's a telltale sign for a hook. But you can't when you're a referee, you can't really make a call on something you don't see. There's a referee at center ice for that exact reason. If you're going to have two referees on the ice, which for some reason this league insists on doing. You have to let the referee who can actually see the play make the call. It's one thing especially that drives me absolutely insane is when there's a play, you know, below the net, below the, the goal line in the corners, and the referee five feet away is looking right at it and doesn't make the call, and the ref in in the you know the parking lot makes the call. <laughs> it's it's it it always drives me nuts. And I'm I would love to talk to like an actual official and see like, is that supposed to be the way it's done? Because you'd think that the guy where it's happening in his lap would have the best view of it. And most of the times it's just not the case. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a weird one. I mean, what, whenever there's a call where you're guessing, just don't do it. Yeah. Like you should not be guessing on calls and refs have the option to review calls. Now, uh, maybe they should have done that, but like, it's obviously it's not a, a big enough deal in like this one incident, to write home about, but it's a confluence of errors, right? And it's very early in the season, but already we can see the standard for officiating is not very good. It's it's a total mess. I'm going to continue beating the drum. The NHL needs off-ice officials. Yeah. It's egregious how bad they are. And, you know, <laughs> even off-ice probably won't fix everything because as we saw in this game, uh, Blake Wheeler scores the game-tying goal, in I'm assuming what they are saying for explaining that good goal call is that Kovacevic pushed Blake Wheeler into his own goaltender, but Blake Wheeler was already in the blue paint. He took another stride after he was pushed. And then he just like, he did that accidentally on purpose. I'm just going to fall with my full weight on you on the goalie. Yeah. And I, I'm fine with him fighting for that puck but you cannot block the goaltender from getting anywhere close to it. And Montembeau was actually very close to covering that puck. So to argue that the, to to say at all, the interference that he initiated didn't affect that goal is insanity to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, the entire reviews, you know, issue boils down to the NHL when they initiated the coaches challenge way back when everyone got one. And if you, you know, if you failed, you just lost the challenge, right? You didn't get a penalty. You just lost the challenge. They're trying to curtail teams from, you know, taking too many uh, shots at at coaching, at challenging a play, you know, by, by penalizing them when they're wrong. But in the case of goaltender interference, it's like, I know there's a rule. There's a number for the rule in the rule book. I understand that there's a lot of words there. I have never seen that rule applied evenly and fairly to the point where at this point we can call it plainly subjective. So essentially you are 
penalizing coaches and teams for disagreeing over the language of a rule. You're not, you're not, you know, punishing them for, you know, a chintzy offside where you might get a chance at at overturning it. You're penalizing them for disagreeing with you. Like Ray Ferraro said, goaltender interference is an opinion. And that's all it is at this point. Well, and, and that's the thing. I think when you've got any situation where a player is on top of a goaltender and a goal is scored, the league has to initiate a, a, a review there. Like we saw in a game earlier this year where there was a high stick, right? And uh, no, that's the one that went against the Canadians. Uh, what was the the review that happened earlier this year where there was a, a goal review? There was Everyone thought it was a challenge. I think it was a few games ago. Yeah. And everyone thought it was a challenge, but they failed the challenge. The Canadians goal counted, but they didn't get a power play. And people were super... Uh, confused because it wasn't a challenge. The league initiated the review. The fact that the league won't initiate goaltender interference reviews that blatant, like where there's that much contact and it has to fall to the coach to make that judgment call in a few seconds is ludicrous to call a penalty after it. And as you said, it's not an offside call where like offsides do not impact the play 99% of the time, even when they're reviewed. This you have there's no way that you should be calling a penalty on a, a goaltender interference review that's that that's that uh dicey yeah and not only that like i know the game is fast and the guys on the ice have a hard time like why are we not seeing plays like that called no goal on the ice like Blake we like regardless of whether or not you saw Blake Wheeler go into um Sam Montembeau just as you didn't see the stick go into the players' hands with with regards to the Rem Pitlick call, why are they not also making a guess that well Blake Wheeler's laying on top of Sam Montembeau? That's probably goalie interference, right? And then they can review it, and then they can decide whether or not it's a goal. The problem I have, and I think a lot of people have, is that more often than not, it's just a, a, a an affirmation of what the referee on the ice called. Like more often than not, because the the burden of proof has to be so high that they overturn the call. More often than not, it's just them saying, yeah, that's fine. Good goal. Like, not that they're saying, yep, no goalie interference happened. Well, a little bit happened. It just wasn't enough to 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 flip that call for you guys. So it's just, it's going to continue to be a subjective mess. I, I, I don't know how you avoid it when you have humans calling the game and you have humans in the the officiating box, you know, making those calls. The high stick from the other night was far more egregious in my estimation and i'm screaming for puck tracking of any kind (laughs) like i i I kept i kept yelling about um hawkeye the technology that they use in tennis they've been using that since 2006 like the nhl is you is conducting reviews on nintendo switches in the penalty box like there's there's just there's if if this league was serious about wanting to take care of those things and make sure that reviews are done properly they would do it they don't care yeah no, no, they can talk about integrity of the game all they want, but uh, yeah, it, it's they, they don't actually care for these reviews. I mean, at least it wasn't like a 12 minute review to come yeah. up with a, a stupid call like that. At least it was quick, so quick and painless. But I, I like that the Canadians didn't fold after that. They, they still played pretty well for the first 40 minutes, uh, especially at even strength. Be- but uh, the third period wasn't so great. We'll talk about no. that in a minute. But we have a question here that will lead us into our next topic. Um, where was it there? Trevor Cassidy says, just got on. Did y'all talk about Suzuki checking Hellebuck was all right after he scored the opening goal? We haven't yet. And we're going to talk about the Suzuki line 
because it was fantastic. But before I do that, I got to tell you guys, if you're here and you're enjoying the show, please like the stream. It really helps us out. And if you're here, hey, there's over 100 people here right now. If everyone just clicks that share button and shares it on their social media, we could probably double that. All right. It's, it's a little thing that you can do. You're part of the show, too. Remember, this is an interactive thing. We talk to you. You talk to us. I read your messages. Robert might delete them if they get too angry, but I don't think anybody is angry tonight. Uh, Robert's uh, saving all of his deletions and bans and shadow bans for the Toronto stream when they lose their next game. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So Suzuki and Caulfield and Doc, it's now three games where these guys have been together. Three games in a row. That line has been incredible by the expected goals numbers, by the scoring chance numbers. I don't think that line is changing anytime soon. I, I think they're going to stick with that for a good long time. But yes, Nick Suzuki, fantastic uh, play on that opening goal. I love the little bump pass by Caulfield to yeah. set it up. And I I did I do love that Suzuki does stuff like that, like checking on Hellebuck to, to see if he's okay. Cause it, those little classy moments, um, it reminds me of Nick Ehlers after Jake Evans took that ridiculous hit from Shifley, right? And he was holding yeah. people back to make sure that Evans didn't get hurt worse from people yeah. piling on and fighting. It's those little moments of like pure class. And I, I hate talking about like, Oh, that's classy. That's classy, but it is classy to see yeah. a player do that and actually have genuine concern for not just their teammates, but also opponents. Yeah. The word class is kind of overused, but in this case it does, it, there's not really a better one that fits in there. Um, I also wanted to give um, St. Louis a stick tap on that first goal, because if you remember that was the, the too many men on the ice call. He puts Caulfield in the box. And the idea being, you know, either A, we're springing out of the penalty box with him, you know, as soon as the play's over, maybe we get him on a breakaway. Or what ultimately happened, you bring out Caulfield or Suzuki and Doc at the end of the penalty kill, who are probably both very competent penalty killers anyway. But you get them out, and now Caulfield's out, and now you just have your top line against whoever Winnipeg has out next. And that ultimately paid off with a goal um, tonight. I think that that was pretty sneaky. Um, by by St. Louis, a little bit of, you know, um, chess being played there, which I appreciate because we haven't seen a lot of that over the last few years. Um, but yeah, I mean, that line, I, I pulled up the the expected goals numbers too. They were, they're above 50% in every game that they've played together. Um, they got kind of caved in from a, a possession standpoint tonight, but just about everybody on this team did because Winnipeg was just firing from everywhere. Yeah, and a lot of that was the third period as well, where yeah. the, Canadians, the Canadians did not generate much in the third period. I feel like that's like the big negative from this game overall is it, they just look kind of tired. And I wonder if just the way the game was going, the way it was being officiated, and how well the Jets were counterattacking, they were like, let's, like, fuck this. We're going yeah. home. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll, we'll try harder in the Saturday game, which you don't really want to see this early in the season, but. At the same time, they like, got a couple chances. They got that power play that looked like really, really strong. Yeah. Got to wonder what the game would look like if they got more than one power play. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, that's the way she goes. But yeah, I've, I've just been so impressed with that Suzuki line. And I think uh, Suzuki's now above 35% of all the Canadians' goals that he's <laughs> been involved in. Like, Talk about this is the first year of his big contract. He's named captain of the team. Just absolute ice in his veins to start like this. Yeah, and a lot of the plays that he's making, there are just guys all over him, and yep. he's still he's very like he's very he doesn't have a, a very long reach, so he kind of does the opposite from what I've noticed. He 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 holds the puck very close to himself, 
um, and tells guys like, if you're going to get it, you're going to have to knock me off of the puck. Um, yeah. I mean, he generates, I mean, right now he's generating everything. There's just not, there's no secondary scoring on this team. Not, not that there should be any to be expected quite honestly. Um, but you know, that line with, especially with doc being on that wing, I know a lot of fans are hand wringing because, well, now who's going to be our second line center of the future. And it's like, well, we have many years to figure that out right now. Montreal is in the business of finding good, good hockey players and good places to play those hockey players. There's if, uh, this is a good problem to have if Doc is on your top line. Like, in the grand scheme of all of the things wrong with this franchise at the moment, that is not one of them. Like, that's a very positive. And I wonder, too, like, the emergence of Owen Beck. Does that make that a little bit easier to do? Looking and don't forget Meshar is, as well, right? Like, he's yeah. he could play center. You never know. Yeah. Centering him with Slavkovsky would be loads of fun. <laughs> Batman and Robin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for so anybody it, who uh, didn't see it, uh, they had they had uh, custom suits made. Uh, <laughs> me, Mishar and Slavkovsky with Batman and Robin on the uh, the inside of the suit. Fantastic that those two are just like exactly what they uh, looked like on draft day, yeah. right? With the uh, co-host of the show, Mark Dumas, hosting the live stream for the Canadians and telling Slavkovsky that uh, Meshar was drafted. And then you, the big hug that happened live on stream. It was a really cool moment. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Um, yeah. I mean, it, they, those two, they seem like they're, they're going to be destined to play with one another. It's just a matter of time, but patience with them. I think we're, we're running out the clock on Slavkovsky's time in the NHL this season. Cause I think they have to make that call soon. Um, he is, I, I feel like 99% positive he's going down, but you know, Especially after this game, he didn't look all that all that ready to well, not ready to play, but like it was just not his best game. No, it wasn't his best game tonight. Although I I was more of the opinion that he'd be going down after game nine before he started getting some power play time. And now after I hear like some of the stuff the organization is talking about and how much he's working with Adam Nicholas, I think that we're more likely to see a decision on that around the 40 game mark where that determines like whether he'll be a UFA a year earlier. So I'm, I'm not sure if they're as concerned about the contract sliding and having like another cheap year, because we also have to account for like, as the ELC expires, that gives them, you know, a year earlier in his development curve to sign him to a long-term contract as well. Right. So he might not break out to the point where, he becomes super expensive on that contract if they can sign him long-term. So yeah. there's lots of machinations sure. around Slavkovsky for sure. I will say one thing that I really enjoyed about this game is after Caulfield was absolutely flying in the Minnesota game and just shooting from everywhere, getting tons of scoring chances, put eight shots on net. In this one, he still got his shots. He got four of them. But he flexed his playmaking muscles in this yeah. one and was a huge part of both goals. Yeah, that I mean, that touch, touch pass in the neutral zone was just, I mean, it, 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 they, those two players just have chemistry. There's certain certain guys just have it together. Those two have it. Like, I know there's thoughts like maybe we should, you know, eventually we shouldn't keep those two glued together. And I, I do agree that there's probably some circumstances that where that would be wise to move them apart. Um, but I mean, right now they are the only offense on this hockey team. If you take them apart, where you know it's probably they're probably getting shut out most nights. Um, I, 
but yeah, Caulfield, I think his playmaking ability is very underrated. Even on the, they didn't end up scoring, but he had a feed to Gallagher at some point, I think in the second period, that was just absurd. And Gallagher like wasn't ready for it. He had an, an open net to tap the puck in and he just wasn't ready for the feed. Um, so yeah, that's, for him to not be a one-dimensional player is very a very nice thing to see because a lot of, you know, it's I mean it's kind of what's going to separate him from the Mike Hoffman's of the world. Like those guys can shoot the puck, but Caulfield can do way more than that. He's far more dynamic. Yeah, and and to be fair to Gallagher, I think that was at the end of his shift as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think there's there's a couple comments, uh, at least one that was saying how many players in the NHL don't bury one of the chances that Gallagher got this game. I look at it very differently. I say how many players in the NHL would have got those chances in the first place. Yeah. I thought Gallagher worked his absolute tail off tonight. And like most of the chances that he got, it was either like on his backhand or he was fighting through traffic to get puck on stick. And those are the kinds of chances that Brendan Gallagher gets. He doesn't have a fantastic shot either. He never really has. And I feel like it's gotten a little bit worse since all the hand injuries. Yeah. So he's always going to finish you know, a lower percentage of his chances than like an average top line forward would. That's just to be expected with him. But uh, I thought tonight was a huge positive for him overall, even though he got mugged a few times, just like in the Minnesota game. And seems like refs aren't calling uh, the penalties on him this year. Like they were last year. No. And I think with Gallagher, we kind of have to understand, like you said, his, I mean, his hands are toast. Like he's just taken so many shots off of his hands. He's had to modify his equipment so that he can continue to play. Um, he's going, his shooting metrics are never going to look nice because he generates a lot because he's like Brennan Gallagher has not seen a shot. He doesn't like, he's going to shoot from everywhere all the time. And with his skating being better this year, he, I mean, he's just the wind he has this year is just something we haven't seen in a long time. He's getting into situations where he can create more offense, but like he had a one timer at one point in this game where, I mean, I, I, I could have followed the puck with my finger across the screen. Like yeah. he just, his, he just, the shot isn't there and the shot never really was. It wasn't like a huge part of his game because he scores from like a foot outside the blue paint. So I think more often than not, like his shooting metrics are going to rely on puck luck, which I know is annoying to hear, but like eventually some of these are going to start bouncing it. Yeah, yeah, he's in a way better situation than he was last year. Like, at the very least, I will say, like, some of his shots this year have had some heat on them. Yeah. Like, he's had some shots that have been labeled that have, like, just missed or uh, been saved by incredible saves by goaltenders. He's getting chances. He's doing the right things. I I actually really like that whole line, Dvorak, Gallagher, and Anderson. I feel like they've been really good since they got put together. So I I like two of the Canadians' lines. And then on the third line, I like Monaghan. Yeah, he's been good. And I like Monaghan, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, no, <laughs> I I liked Armia in, in bursts. There yes. are, when he has the puck, I've always, I've said this for years now, like when he has the puck, I feel like he gets stronger with every defenseman that attaches themselves to him. Like he just, he's shoving guys off. He's very slippery, but like that ends when he has to like actually make a play with the puck and, and move it to another person or take a shot on net. Um, but yeah. Agreed. Monaghan is really the, the motor on that line. Everything else is kind of just tertiary. Yeah, it's uh, I, I like I liked Armia against Minnesota tonight. Less so the yeah. drop pass to no one at his defensive <laughs> blue line late in the game 
was a rough one. I think Druin had some good moments and some tough moments tonight. I thought he worked hard, but again, like things just aren't working for him offensively better on the power play, obviously, but I just feel like there's something lacking there with a lot of the Canadians depth forwards this year, where it's just not quite connecting Uh, Rem Pitlick. I would probably not put him in the lineup, (laughs) but at the same time, the other options like Mike Hoffman. So I think some of these guys on the lower end, you just have to figure out a way for the Canadians to move them. And then you're going to bring up guys like Harvey Pinard and Yelonen, and you'll have a more exciting bottom of your lineup stuff as much as people want to bolster Laval a little bit. Uh, you know, Laval's obviously struggling right now. Um, I did want to talk about Joel Edmondson as well, because I expected him to look like he did last year when he came back after missing half the season. He did not. He looked to my eye really, really strong, especially on that first PK, which I know they got scored on, but it was uh, Armia and, uh, and Savard that had the miscommunication that caused that on Edmondson's side, he was making incredible anticipation plays to block slot passes. He was blocking shots. He was in the lanes. He was very aggressive. Looked good skating. Looked good puck handling. I I was really impressed. I thought that he had a fantastic uh, first game back. I liked him on that penalty kill as well. He was in the slot, and he wasn't waiting for passes to to materialize. He was jumping out and and really aggressively throwing his stick at every play through the middle. And I think the Jets caught on to that because as every time they were coming down his side, he was either poking it away or blocking the shot. So the first time they go to Savard's side, I I don't know what was going through Savard's head there. I know Armia also needed to cover Dubois there, but there there's a, there's probably three seconds in between where Savard realizes Dubois is skating to him and where Savard like flamingos it and just kind of throws his stick and eh, I'll try to block it. Not really. Um, that was that was tough. I think the penalty kill looks really great statistically, like just by the raw penalty kill percentage number. Um, but I think that is being buoyed by some really fantastic goaltending that we've seen so far this year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's we got to talk about Sam Montembeau. Uh Coming into this game, he's already had an incredible start to the season. This might be one of the best games of his career. Uh, he stopped so many incredible plays. That Shifley stop in OT was ridiculous. I think that went under his blocker and hit him in the fingers, which, you know, are, are padded, but not as much. And that's why he dropped his stick. He was an absolute battler tonight. Like we, I think that's when we see the best of Montembeau is when he's forced to kind of be... The, the battler, because he's not a, a really calm goaltender. He doesn't yeah. give you that sense of everything is going to be okay like Carey Price did. But when he's on it and he's tracking pucks well, he's a dynamic, extremely fun goaltender to watch. And tonight he was phenomenal. Yeah, I think the one the one aspect of his game that I think is still scaring me the most is his, his puck handling ability. Like, yeah. he... There, there are a few times where he comes behind the net and he's holding it for one beat, two beat, three beat, and then he's finally playing the puck and it's usually just rimmed around the glass. But yeah, when he like, he's a very reactionary goaltender, and you know when goaltenders are successful at that, 
they're able to play that way. Carey Price was never a reactionary goaltender. He's a structure system goaltender who's going to be very calm, cool, and collected. And that's kind of what we've gotten used to over the past decade. Sam Montembeau isn't that. Doesn't mean he's bad. Last year he was. He was never healthy, though, and the team in front of him stunk. You know, I, I think... You know, you look at the Canadians record and if you told someone that after, you know, this far, they'd be about 500. You would ask them how the goaltending was and coming into this game, Sam Montebo was a 931. Like if yeah. Sam Montebo has a 931, that's one problem you don't have. And I think that's also something that is eventually going to regress a little bit. So everyone's saying that, oh, we're ruining the tank by having good goaltending performances. Please just try to enjoy this while it's, you can. It's a long season. There's going to be games yeah. where they go like eight straight and they lose all of them. And yeah. they might not all be bad games, but there's going to be stretches like that. Even good teams have bad stretches. This is a, a team that coming into this game was, I think, uh, fourth last in expected goals this season. So as much as things are fun right now and they're you know pushing for 500 every couple games... It's not going to be like this all year. They are going to lose a lot more than they win. Not last year. Like They're not going to win 22 games like last year, but I'd be surprised if it's over 35. Yeah. No, I, I just, especially because like you look at teams below them in the standings as well. Like Tampa Bay hasn't really gotten off to a good start. We know Tampa Bay yep. is going to be better. Colorado hasn't been off to a good start. We know they're going to be better. So everybody <coughs> Toronto already... too. <coughs> I don't know if you oh know this. God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what's going on there. I I watch Steve's videos to try to figure it out, and that's really tough. <laughs> Not to get derailed, but did you see the Mike Rupp breakdown of Austin Matthews against Travis Konechny? Yeah, and as somebody who's not connected at all, I thought it was a little bit of nothing. But for a player it's... to be saying that, I understand it. Yeah, it's like it shouldn't be the biggest issue in the world, like because it's Toronto, everything gets blown up. However, I don't think he was wrong at all. Like he even goes so far as to say, like Matthews doesn't need to fight here, right? He, all he's yeah. asking for in that moment is like Matthews to take a guy and be engaged in the moment. And I remember when the Habs played the Leafs in the playoffs, there were moments like that where like Sherratt is bullying Matthews. And he, he was like looking away and smiling like, ah, this is not even bothering me. And that, that plays once, but when yeah. he kept doing it and kind of like skating away and letting his teammates handle it, man, you, you got to have yeah. some heart, right? You, you got to actually do something. And to let himself get bullied by Travis Konechny, who's five inches shorter than him and 30 pounds lighter, that's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, it played well when it was... You know, Matthews, uh, was it Scott Sabrin for the Senators? Like, looking over his shoulder, trying to read the nameplate. Like, it yes, plays that was well. funny. Yeah, it plays well in those moments, and you're kind of like, oh, that's funny, because no one's actually punching anybody. They're just kind of, you know, it's a moment after the play. But yeah, that's always been the knock on that that top six, right? Is that they're they're not willing to to, you know, do all the mean and dumb things that hockey has become synonymous with. And while... I, in an ideal world, we're not worrying about that sort of thing. We don't live in an ideal world. We live in this one. So they have to figure out how that works. Um, but that's a that's a different show. Yeah, I think there's a difference between like ha having to fight and having some fight in you. You know what I yeah. mean? And I think that's what Rupp was calling for. And 
the the folks who think that they are asking Matthews to like fight everyone, that's that's definitely not what anybody wants. You know, like, nobody wants Matthews doing the Connor McDavid and Junior and missing a punch and hitting the boards and breaking his wrist. Like, yeah, no Leafs fan, no fan of any team, unless you're like facing the Leafs in the playoffs, wants Matthews to do that. So, yeah. but I I really find it shocking that Marner is the one who's getting all the heat right now in Toronto. But I, I think Matthews is the one who kind of deserves it. But let's get away from Toronto because we don't really care about Toronto. <laughs> it's just a funny story. I just thought it was a crazy breakdown and, and very astute. But uh, uh, there's a p- bunch of people in the chat, the entire stream, asking about Pierre-Luc Dubois and whether the whole Habs on Dubois thing is going to happen and what the Canadians would give up for him. And I remember there was a bunch of Jets fans in the offseason saying, like, oh, it starts with, like, Nick Suzuki. And I remember laughing, and now I'm laughing even more. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I think my big thing with Pierre-Luc Dubois is I think he's a good player and obviously hasn't quit on the Jets, but this is the second team in a couple of years that he's demanded a trade from. I don't think I like the personality to do that. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. Like, it's... You, you wonder how many environments you have to be in. Like, how many bad roommates do you have before you're the bad roommate? Exactly. Like, and this, he, the way he quit on the Blue Jackets was rough. Uh, I mean, and, you know, at the time, everybody, you know, because who was the coach behind the bench? It was John Tortorella. A lot of the thought behind that was John Tortorella. Uh, it's John Tortorella. He's going to bench anybody. But then you actually go back and you watch. He's just gliding through that shift. Yep. Like, he, he looked like. A, a rec league referee like there was just there was no movement in that um but to play the game and to figure out when or how montreal will acquire him i think a trade is the least likely thing that happens agreed um i if the cap is going to go up soon we know that he's got one more year as a restricted free agent at the end of this season where he'll probably just sign another one-year deal or be moved to somewhere else he doesn't want to play and then he becomes a ufa and then Montreal can have him for just money, like no assets, just cash in a, in a world where the, the salary cap is higher and they'll have more space. I think it would be foolish for the Canadians to entertain any kind of trade offer for him at this point. Um, with that said, I'm not even sold on him being on this team for all the reasons we just talked about. Yeah. And I think that's my thing with Pierre-Luc Dubois is like, I like him as a player. I really do. I think he's a good player, but for what he would cost in free agency or what he would cost to acquire, is he an improvement on Nick Suzuki? Because you're paying, you're essentially paying for a first line center. And I don't think he is. I I don't think he's better defensively. I don't think he's better offensively either. Now that Suzuki is getting older and more established in the league. I know he's still a young guy too, but I, I just don't think that he's worth it because the prices that you pay in those scenarios are always exorbitantly high. And the Canadians are going to have several opportunities over the next couple of years here to add high-end centers. So unless you desperately need somebody to knock Suzuki one spot down in the lineup, I feel like if you're just looking for a second-line center, there's better and cheaper options available to the Canadians, and they're not in a rush to make this happen. They don't want to be in a competitive window next year, right? Like, next year... I feel like this year, if they can finish bottom five-ish, like bottom six, seven, and hopefully move up into the top three 
via lottery or trade, which I think people are underestimating how active Kent Hughes will be at the draft if he doesn't get one of those top three picks. We saw last draft how he's willing to make wheeling and dealing moves. He has a lot of assets to play around with. If things go crazy in Florida and they miss the playoffs, he's now got two first-round picks in one of the deepest drafts in recent history. So he could either take two really good players or find a way to pull that into one amazing franchise player. So there's lots of avenues to add a center over the next little while. Yeah. Uh, And to circle back on the Dubois thing for one last moment, I know you mentioned he's he's still kind of young. He's a 2016 draft. Like he's, he's been around as long as Matthews has. Like if Montreal were to be, were to acquire him as a UFA, it'd be in his D nine year. Like it would be nine years after he was drafted. I, I don't know necessarily that that's, like he's sort of just like baked into what he is, right? Like this, that's who Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be. Um, So like you said, they'd be paying first line money for somebody who's probably closer to a middle of the pack center, a second line center. Um, So agreed. I think that the, the, the draft capital this year is going to be really exciting to follow because I don't think he's done adding to it. Um, You know, the only guy that we, that you liked on that third line, Sean Monaghan, he could he fetch Montreal a second first round pick? We got one just for getting him, and now we might get another one out of him at the draft at the at the trade deadline. I mean, with how they're playing lately, maybe Calgary wants him back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, oh, that'd God. be terrible. He looks no, like he I can mean, skate again. Like, he, yeah, there were a few plays in this game where he had breakaway speed. Like he was yep. separating himself when he drew the the only full power play the Canadians got. He was he separated himself from I, I don't know if it was I think it was Dylan, the defenseman, um, you know, for a guy who's had two hip surgeries or a bunch of hip surgeries over the last few years. It doesn't look like it like he's moving. No, he looks great. He he doesn't look like a guy who's in like steep decline at all. And I know it, his like scoring numbers aren't amazing or anything to write home about, but that's because he's not playing with Caulfield and Suzuki every game. Right. <laughs> who are the True. only guys who score on this team? But uh yeah, uh, is there anything else that stood out to you about this one, uh, Ian? Because I think I've uh, run out of topics here. Um, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, the officiating was, was it kind of stole the show in this one, unfortunately, which is just, it is what it is. I, I did a little digging into that. I, I saw the Jets this year are third have the third lowest um, penalties taken per 60. Um, I thought, found it funny that last year's Dallas Stars had the lowest uh best uh, the lowest penalties per 60 and rick bonus is the coach of both of those teams is that something that's part of this i don't know could be um but yeah i i I think that that's something usually at the beginning of the season we're used to seeing like a bunch of ticky tacky penalties and each team's getting five power plays through like american thanksgiving like montreal got two and one of those was 15 seconds long so it it's something that usually is going to balance out. I have no idea how this plays out this season. Yeah, it's hard to know. Usually power plays are way up uh, in the first month or so of the season. That is holding true for right now. Uh, right now, overall in the league, there's 3.51 power play opportunities per team per game, whereas last year there was just 2.89. Wow. But I want to, like, this is something that I continually hit on because it's something that bothers the hell out of me. When... Uh, People look at the history of the NHL. We are currently in the lowest, least penalized era 
in the history of the NHL. The last, I think it's uh, going back to 1617. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, one, uh, yeah, six or seven years. The last six or seven years are the, it's like seven of eight of the least penalized years in the history of the NHL. Like the average for most of the history of the NHL is closer to like four and a half power plays per team per game. And we're more than a penalty per team per game under that. Yeah. So for people who are like freaked out, like, Oh, you don't want to go back to like, Oh, five, Oh six. Yeah. Oh, five, Oh six was almost six power plays per team per game. That's never going to happen again. But no. the league has allowed a lot of the interference and dead puck era stuff to creep back in. And the dead puck era, the last year of the dead puck era, 2003-2004 was 4.24 power plays per wow. team per game. The difference now is that back then, the average power play was a 16.5% power play. Now it's 21%. That's why there's more power play goals, and that's why power plays still matter today, is the power plays have gotten better, except for the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, and the Anaheim Ducks. So and the Anaheim Ducks. Just horrible. But, yeah, I I am I want to push the officiating thing continually until the NHL realizes how stupid their their ridiculous rule calling is. Just call the damn rule book yeah. and give the referees some help with off ice officials in their ear so that they can tell them what's going on they don't see or that they miss. Because I'm tired of this garbage. We shouldn't have every fan of every team thinking that there's a conspiracy against them. <laughs> it's not healthy. No. All right. And with that, thank you everyone for joining the show. Please like, and subscribe, please uh, subscribe to our podcast feeds and share this show on your social medias. Obviously you can share it right now as you're listening to it or right now, as you're listening to it on replay or wherever you want and uh, help us grow. Cause, uh, we want to keep getting bigger and better and having more fun, more people enjoy our content. All right, everybody. Thanks to Ian. Uh, before we go, Ian, tell everybody where they can find your work. Almost forgot. No worries. I'm on Twitter at maybe it's Ian. Uh, I host a show called The Build, uh, trying to go through the uh, Montreal Canadiens as they build uh, a Stanley Cup champion. Once they do that, the show ends. We'll play closing time. We'll all go home. Uh, so... <laughs> Come join me. I do a show. I try to do a show every week. I've been off the last few weeks, but um, should be a new episode next week. The Build. Find it's everywhere you find your podcasts. All right, look up the Build. Follow Ian on Twitter, and uh, we'll see you on Saturday where we have a fun surprise for everyone. We've got the hosts of Locked On Canadians on the show, both Scott Matla and Laura Saba, coming on. It's going to be a fun one. Talk to you then. <laughs>